Hello, my name is Joshua Cotterell, and I'm here with Ivy McDaniels, who is the Communications Director for the Beck Institute. Could you tell me about the Beck Institute? Sure. So the Beck Institute for Cognitive Behavior Therapy, or CBT for short, is a nonprofit institution. Um, we are based in Ballackinwood, Pennsylvania. We are the home and uh, leaders in the field of Cognitive Behavior Therapy, or CBT. CBT is a time-centered psychotherapy, it's a talk therapy. Um, it was founded in the 60s, sort of established throughout the 70s. Um, our institute has been around since 1994, and our mission is to promote excellent CBT worldwide. So we have a small clinic in-house, and we also work to train uh, therapists around the world in online persons and in-person trainings to make sure that people are getting the care that they deserve and the excellent CBT that they seek. That's great. As you know, my dad's a, my dad's a psychologist, so it's always interesting to just hear about it from a different um, perspective each time. I really ask someone about psychology, so it's actually very interesting to hear the full explanation of the company and why it was founded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and CBT is uh, its one of the most clinically proven uh, psychotherapies in the world. There are more than 2,000 studies that have proven how great it is for solving a whole range of different mental uh, health conditions. So it's really effective, and our whole goal is to get more people the effective treatment that they need. That's amazing. I always, I always love to hear people helping people. Um, obviously, it wasn't a walk in the park to get to where you are as the communications director of the Beck Institute. So could you tell me how you get started? Sort of just talk me through the process. Yeah. Um, So I always knew that I wanted to write professionally um, or have writing be a main part of my career. I studied literature, so I have um, a bachelor's and a master's both in English or in literature. And um, so I actually graduated college in 2008. So I graduated college and then a few months later, everything crashed. <laughs> that was really, really not fun for anyone, anyone of me or any of my peers. Yeah. Um, so I ended up going abroad to get my master's and I came back in 2010. And um, it was a really, really difficult field out there for anyone to try to get a job, let alone someone with a humanities degree or two humanities degrees. Yeah. So, um, you know, so I had gone abroad actually on a Fulbright scholarship, so I felt really just so lucky and so fortunate, and I wanted to give back. So I joined AmeriCorps, and I was I did a year as an AmeriCorps VISTA. I knew that I wanted to give back and work for nonprofits, and I just felt like I sort of owed it to society for sending me to such a lovely place and <laughs> allowing me to study what I wanted for grad school and the spirit of international exchange. So um, I worked in New Jersey and I was a grant writer for a nonprofit during my year of AmeriCorps. And that sort of is where I cut my teeth in working in the nonprofit field. After that, I ended up doing fundraising for a nonprofit in Center City, Philadelphia, focusing on education. And that was just sort of, um, that was sort of a testament of willpower, I would say. So I started out in fundraising knew that I really, I was writing a lot because I was writing grants, but they were quite boring. Um, But I knew that they needed, this organization I was working for needed a ton of help in social media and marketing. So I just sort of taught myself 
how to copyright for social media, how to run a website. I took classes locally and how to code. Um, I joined PPRA, the Philadelphia Public Relations Association, and just kind of took every opportunity to persuade my supervisors that we needed immediate presence and we needed yeah. media relations. And so I was fortunate enough there that I was able to grow in my six and a half years there to become director of communications there. And then I saw this opening at Beck Institute and um, mental health is just in a field that I've been wanting to get into. So I transitioned to Beck Institute just this summer. Awesome. That's an amazing story. It's always interesting to hear just someone just work their, work their way up in the different experiences that you have had to just elevate your skills to bring you to where you are. Would you say that the skills that you that you learned in your previous um, the previous areas that you were in, even if it was like a brief moment, helped you just really understand the scope of what you were doing? Yeah, I think, well, there are a couple things that I think make a good communicator and a good um, person who writes professionally, I should say, whether it's in whatever field you choose to write in or speak in or however you want to use words and language. I think first you just have to love reading and try to get your hands on everything. Um, so actually when I started at Beck Institute, uh, the president, Dr. Judy Beck, she asked me, oh, well, how'd you get to be such a good writer? And I said, well, I just read, Judy. <laughs> That's what I do. Um, but I think that with being a reader and what I've learned in a lot of my other roles or the challenges I've met in you know, when I worked my way up through um, my previous organization and back when I was in AmeriCorps and even before then, I just think there's a real big need for empathy and for understanding who your audience is, what they might want, or just talking to your audience to find out who they are and what they want. And just realizing that we all use words because we're all people. Yeah. <laughs> and we all have to get to some sort of shared conclusion. And the only way to do that is by talking to the people understanding the people and trying to help other people understand what you're trying to say. So I just think it takes a lot of heart, a lot of empathy. Um, and that's really what I've learned throughout my career and what I try to focus on too. I heard you mention reading and just communicating, which is coming into this day and age of just technology advancing. A lot of people, some people do read, but this current generation is being brought up in an area where they really don't really know. I want. I don't want to say know how to read, but don't really have a desire to read or mm -hmm. communicate with people that's not over technology, such as Facebook and Twitter. Do you think that might have an impact on the future generations that will go into communications? I definitely do. I think it'll definitely have an impact. Um, it's interesting because I'm a bit of a. Um, Maybe I'm a bit of an anomaly. So I'm, I'm a millennial, but I'm an older millennial. And, but I've always just sort of embraced technology as, yeah, things change, you know? So I was reading um, Wolf Hall, this book by Hilary Mantel, and it's based in uh, early Renaissance England. It's when, they, you know, the Church of England breaks away from Catholicism. And they're talking about, in this book, they're talking about the printing press and what a travesty the printing press is and how Europe is going to change because even the common man is going to be able to read. People can put out any kind of newspaper they want at any time. 
And, you know, they're just lamenting, like, this fast-paced society that they're living in because there's a printing press. And, of course, you know, in 2019 or 2018, whenever I was reading that book, it's like, oh, how charming. The printing press is revolutionizing things. That's so slow. Haha, I have Twitter. But, it's, you know, it's kind of the same argument. Just 500 years in the future is, right, communications are going to evolve. We're going to evolve as a species because we have new technology. I think the essential thing is that we're also people and we also need to work together in a society so it's how to harness the tools that you have at your disposal to communicate that i mean obviously i work in nonprofits, so i i am sort of an optimist and a person who believes in people and believes in societies but i do oh, think right. that you know as we're always going to advance nothing's ever going to be the same we were worried about you know the printing press and just getting out of medieval times. I'm sure people were worried about free presses in the late 1890s when newspapers changed. And, you know, people were probably super worried about the internet in the 80s. Um, and I think there's just always going to be that constant struggle between what's new and fast and how generations communicate with one another. Um, I'm not sure if that totally answers your question. That's sort of my take on the whole oh, people read, people don't read. I think it's kind of like people are interested in stories or they're not. There are different types of people and yeah. there are different ways of telling that story. So if I need to tell my story in a video for my job, I do that. I hire a videographer and I still tell the story and I just conduct live interviews. If I need to write a piece for academics, then I use you know my word processor and I write. It's just being able to adapt, I think, is especially important for those of us who are working in this field right now um, because things are just adapting a little more quickly than they have in the past. Okay, thank you. That actually did answer my question. And speaking of adapting, I know we were talking about your experiences. So would you mind telling me which hurdles you had to either personally or professionally face and how did you overcome them? Yeah. Um, so there are a couple of ways I could go about that. I think, you know, probably the easiest is technical. Um, when I was working at the organization right before Beck Institute, um, which is called Children's Scholarships on Philadelphia, that's why I've shied from staying away from it. It's just such a long name, but I'll call it CSFP for short. So when I was at CSFP, um, we had a really challenging old website and I had to teach myself how to code to change it. So there are those kind of small, technical challenges that I've had throughout my career with, ooh, I don't have this skill. Okay, how do I learn it? How do I figure this out? Do I know people in my network who can teach me? Do I, can I afford to take class at one of the universities? Is there a nonprofit that offers these classes? So there's that kind of skills building, I think, that is always around. Um, one thing that happens when you move up in your career, and this happened for me too, because I didn't have a formal education in communications. I mean, I was a writer. I've always been a writer. I've, you know, been published before I had any job as a communications director. But then I feel like there's, um, especially for women and for people of color and for people of communities that aren't always at the top, when we rise the ladder in a career, it's really easy to feel imposter syndrome. And I think that that's one of the challenges that I faced and, you know, and I'm always facing and always trying to overcome is just, right i do deserve a seat at this table you know this i've worked to get to where i am and i you know i can lead a team and do the things that i have always dreamt of doing it's just the matter of getting over yourself to sort of step into that and then to take your 
take up space, I guess, and take your, your place at the table. Sometimes that's challenging. It depends on the environment that you're in. Um, I've been fortunate in having a lot of great mentors to sort of help me get to where I am at. And I also do a lot of um, peer groups. So I uh, took a sort of like a peer group course um, through the LaSalle Nonprofit Center that helped me and other middle managers just like talk to one another and learn about challenges and sort of workshop ideas and challenges professionally together. Um, I took some leadership courses through Bryn Mawr. Um, I reach out to my own personal network just to get advice, you know, when I have questions about managing staff or things like that. And then, you know, you just have to not be afraid to ask for help when you need it or when you want it from your professional networks, from your personal network, from your boss, from your employees, anyone who is out there, I think. Yeah, I feel like that's just uh, one of those things that a lot of people have trouble with because a lot of people are private. I don't know. So sorry for the interruption. We were just having some technical difficulties, but we were on the concept of just really understanding that there's always going to be someone that you can reach out to that you need help, and that's really not a bad thing to ask for. You're not diminished. You're not like diminishing your abilities, but you're really just asking for just growth and help in your area of field. Yeah, and when you think about it too, I mean, everyone builds a network at some point or you should build a network at some point and that's what the network is there. So even if you take, you know, um, the case of just someone working on Wall Street who seems really successful, likely they didn't get there on their own by not talking to anyone and by never asking for a role or never asking for help. It's usually just sort of build that network. Some people are fortunate enough to have that network when they're when they're born, that's their family network, and some people don't. And you just have to sort of lean in and take your place. Yeah, it's it's just it's a real it's a real thing out here that people really need to learn to take advantage of. Going with just asking for people in the field for help. The um in the industry for communications and marketing, will there be some advantages? the disadvantages of in-house versus agency marketing? Yeah, um, I thought about this a lot because I've always thought about going to agency just because I love project-based work and it's always different. I love a, I love a job where every day looks different than another. So that's very appealing. Um, the one thing I've heard from my friends who work in agency is that um, because it's always different, you always have to learn. I think that the expectations could be a little different. The expectations on your time can be a little different and the pace in which you need to create work can be a little different. And it can be quite hectic. Um, I've always been in-house and the things that I've loved about that are being able to build really tight relationships with my coworkers. And also I've always worked in nonprofit. So I've always developed a love for the mission and for me that's what's really important in my work is I'm not just writing you know marketing or PR just to sell something I'm writing to help people so that's part of the reason I've always been in house yeah I feel like agency would be I mean I would like to do in-house because that's just I want to work for one company but if I ever got the chance to go to an agency I feel like it'd be as you said you're doing something new every day and it's just not one specific thing you always have to adapt in the fly which as we talked about is a skill that people need to have so mm -hmm. most likely for short term 
I would feel that in-house would be nice to do to get experience. But if you really want something that really keeps you on your toes, I feel like, as you said, agency would be the best route to go to. Yeah, that's sort of my feeling too. And it depends too. I think that if I had gone right out of college, right into PR, I might have jumped right into an agency to sort of build that experience because I do think that employers really appreciate that. And they really think that, you know, oh, this person's working in the agency. They really know what they're talking about. So as a, as a young professional, um, it's always a good option, especially when you're young and you have that energy that you can work more than 40 hours a week. <laughs> I believe is the best way to get content out to potential clients. Yeah, um, so it depends on a couple things. For me, I always try to think of who the audience is and where they might be likely to spend their time. So when I was at CSFT, I would try to reach out to managers, to reach out to local business people, and then also to reach out to long-term families living in Philadelphia. So those are very different audiences. So whereas I might do a press release or try to get something in the local news or something um, in the local paper or maybe on LinkedIn for a business audience, it would be different for families where I would try to reach them on Facebook or Instagram or something like that. So it's really just being able to be adaptable, um, but knowing who your audience is, I think is the most helpful thing for disseminating content. Okay. And speaking about, and speaking of Instagram and of these new social media tools that are always coming out, the way the marketing industry is going or the way it's headed, what do you, is there one media platform that is trendy for a lot of businesses or agencies to use when marketing? Um, I think, I mean, I'm not sure if there's really one. <laughs> I think you kind of have to be adaptable to all of them. Um, I yeah. mean, as much as I despise the platform personally, I think that Facebook is a really great tool professionally for um, both for marketing because their advertisements are relatively cheap as well as for getting information out there to a whole bunch of different audiences. So, I mean, I think if you had to do one social media platform, I mean, obviously it's a different for each business, but I think that Facebook is pretty ubiquitous. Okay. Because it's like, it's it was funny because there's this whole, there was a whole um, Popeye's marketing strategy that a lot of people were like discussing. If it, yeah. If yeah. it's a whole beef with Chick-fil-A, if it was like, really? Or if it was just a marketing strategy? Because a lot of the people that they're marketing to are on Twitter. So mm-hmm. I guess it goes into the discussion, like also which demographic are you really trying to reach? Because if they're trying to reach like teens because they believe teens and young adults spread the word faster on Twitter, then mm-hmm. it would like be, would well, would Twitter be the best option? So I mean, I guess you're right. My question should have been rephrased to if there were, if there's one that you could pick out of all of them, but it's always interesting yeah. to use different platforms. Yeah, I think it just goes back to you. Okay, yeah, I understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, Come to the end of this, is there any, when it comes to marketing, would there be any specific roadblocks to watch out for or and to pair with that, any for would there any be any support 
for those roadblocks and the resources that would be available? In terms of marketing? Um, yes. So, yeah, I have a pet peeve. I mean, it's pretty technical, but when, when marketers only try to sell, I find that so incredibly frustrating. There are so many things you can do with messaging where you're, yes, promoting your nonprofit or your business or your product, whatever it is, but you're actually generating a conversation. It just seems lazy to me to try to just, you know, if we were at Beck Institute just putting out content that says how great our workshops are, come to our workshops. So what we also do is create blogs from local experts or from experts around the world. And, you know, we host workshops, we go to different conferences and strike up conversations with people. I think that a huge hurdle in marketing is to try to figure out where you belong and in what conversations you belong, and then finding ways into those conversations. Um, for us at Beck Institute, I think a lot of that work has been done already because we belong to a number of professional organizations. And I think that helps you see what other people are doing and also sort of where you belong in the world and who you should be talking to. So for someone who's um, new to this world, I would recommend joining a whole bunch of different um, organizations to try to see where you fit in, particularly if you end up going in-house and you go into an industry you don't know anything about. It's going to be great to be able to talk to other marketers in that piece. Never um, underestimate the power of a professional organization or an organization for professionals that you can join. That's that's amazing advice. I just want to I just want to thank you for the time that you took out to interview for this podcast. Yeah, of course. It's uh it's been an honor. Sorry for all of the technical difficulties, but maybe <laughs> hey. you discovered that I need a new mobile carrier. <laughs> Adapting, adapting is a thing, especially in this market. So there's yeah, one thing that absolutely. this podcast teaches you with that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm also a member of the PPRA and I'm in the membership group. So if you haven't joined PPRA, I know they have a student chapter and they have some pretty, um, uh, a lot of programming going on at Temple. So you should definitely check that out. I will definitely check that out. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. It's good too. You get to like, meet with local journalists and talk to them. Amazing. All right. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome, Josh. All right. Take care. You too. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.